I'm Q. I'm Jewish Dave. This is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. And before we jump into our interview, a quick reminder to be sure you subscribe, rate, and review. We're going to be talking to more great guests from Miami, Las Vegas, and beyond in between now and Election Day. So follow us on Twitter at Bird Road Podcast and check us out at birdroadpodcast.com. Dave, we are notoriously stingy over here with our endorsements. Um, have we been hurt before? Yes, sure, it happens. It's all part of the game. But all that that means is when we do make an endorsement, when Bird Road does throw its collective weight behind a candidate, you can bet that they're the right person for the job. We've made a handful of endorsements this year, and we've been lucky enough to have a few of them on the show. Uh, Melba Pearson is running for state attorney in Miami, and she has our support. Elijah Manley is running for the Florida State House, and if you live in Broward and District 94, we've urged you to vote for him in that primary. And our guest today is joining their ranks. She's a social worker, a lawyer, a county commissioner, a rare progressive voice in South Florida, and she's also the next mayor of Miami-Dade County and its 2.7 million residents. Daniela Levinkava, welcome to Bird Road. Whoa, that's quite the welcome. Hey, we don't jazzed. we don't mess around over here. Come on. Yeah, I was impressed as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now, listen, Dave and I are pundits, so we are hopelessly poisoned by cynicism and doom and gloom, but we don't want to yuck your yum. You're running a positive campaign, a fun campaign, and Dave, let's just dispense with some of our more like dour, sour outlooks. We've actually got a chance to elect one of the good ones here. Um, we have, you know, all next week or whenever to wallow in our misery. Uh, <laughs> so let's 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 jump right in. We want to start by asking you the same question that we always ask folks who are running for office who are guests on the show. Why are you running? You know, I feel that I must. That is the darn truth, because I love this place. I know it has challenges. And I know that I can make a difference. That's really what has driven me my whole life. I'm a problem solver. I like to get things done. I look around and I am so frustrated by the lack of action in some very key areas that I know can be improved. And uh, so I feel I can and therefore I must. Can you talk about the difficulty of running a campaign in such a big county in terms of population and geography, especially during a pandemic? Yeah, I've been saying that running a county commission race is like getting a college degree, but running countywide is a graduate degree for sure. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten my <laughs> PhD. It is incredible. The issues are different all around the county. Uh, not only is it 34 cities, but it's just micro communities with, with their own issues. And while we all share m most of the issues, there are really those key issues that uh, are motivating for certain key areas. So uh, it's been a joy to go out and discover all the little pockets in the county and also to learn about their challenges. So as far as running in a pandemic, I uh, never could have imagined. Uh, you know, the good thing for me was that I had been running for a year by the time the pandemic came. Yeah, you were so one I of the first to sort of come out. I already have thousands of supporters, hundreds of volunteers. So I was well positioned uh, to take it on. And, uh, you know, virtual has its virtues. <laughs> uh, you can, people were home, you know, people are reading their mail, they're answering their phone calls. And we did start up with some socially distanced canvassing, knocking and then backing up. And we've had really good rate of contact. So it's actually better rate of contact between the phones and the doors than in a typical campaign. 
That's really interesting. Uh, the other thing, yeah, it's very surprising. And the other thing is people are really turned on to this election season. We've just seen a record turnout for early vote and vote by mail. Of course, the last day will be Tuesday. But I, I do expect that people's um, people are upset. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Right. And they really are uh, paying attention to who's going to be able to fix these problems. It's always a big one, but this is a big one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is like they always sell it as like, well, this is the election. This is, always, I mean, I remember 2000, the first time I was an adult was in 2000. It was like, oh, this is a, this is the biggest election of our lifetime. And then every election was the biggest election. But it's like kind of hard to downplay. Right. It really feels it. <laughs> this yeah, year. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of- yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot on the line. There is a lot on the line. And of course, November, all the more so. And right. if my race goes into a runoff, well, then. You know, I'll be running mm-hmm. with some somebody else uh, and uh, the national future will be on the ticket. I want to mention it again at the end of the show. But, yeah, if you're listening to this show, there's a, a based on our analytics, there's about a 50 percent chance you're here in Miami-Dade County. Tuesday's the last day to vote in what is, I guess, generally like a jungle primary. Um, we're actually probably going to get a chance to, to vote for uh, Daniela twice this year. Um, uh, <laughs> That's based, a good way of looking at you it. You know, that based, based on the way <laughs> it'll... You. Uh, the way it'll probably shake out. Um, that'll be obviously yeah. on uh, Tuesday, which today is um, Sunday, the 16th, Tuesday, August 18th. You can get a chance to vote for her if you haven't already. We urge you to. And then again on the general election on November 3rd, I think, this this cycle, um, which seems like just <laughs> an entire lifetime away from now. But um, we were joking a little bit at the top about the endorsement, but you did notch a pretty big one recently. My former employer, you were the uh, the Miami Herald's pick. Uh, for mayor in this crowded field, which is about as broad of an endorsement as you can get in South Florida. I'm curious, though, if you think that those kind of things still hold sway with people, is it like more divisive than it is helpful, helpful than divisive? Or is it really kind of just like background noise for for the campaign? Well, I think there's demographic questions. I mean, certainly the older voters that grew up with the Miami Herald and still subscribe. I'm a subscriber, a loyal Me subscriber. Too. We are <laughs> still a Herald household. I'm not there anymore, but my wife is still an employee. So, you know, we... <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I do, totally. I mean, I think the Herald does a good job. You know, I, I, I think they've done a good job with local uh, news. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a close observer and, and user, consumer. So, yes, I think it certainly does matter. And, and what's more, the language that they used was very thoughtful. Mm. And, uh, you know, we can use that on our mailers right. <laughs> so in our good TV fodder. ads. Good so it is definitely good, good fodder. Mm. Um, of course, um, many would say the best endorsement I got was from the plantain. Are you familiar? Oh, the plantain. Yeah. We love the plantain yes. at Bird Road. Yes, yeah, for sure. So a satirical. Yeah, satirical. Uh, it's the onion. onion. It's the onion, but for Miami, which. That's correct. That's it, correct. It, it, it holds all of the uh, special affect and, and um, what yes. makes Miami unique yes. in, its, in its humor. Yes. Apparently, my major flaw is that I wear too many floral patterned blouses, <laughs> but I'm fixing it. I'm working on it. So. Well, that's the problem. The plantain, they spend too much time north of the 836. Down south of the 836, the floral patterns, that's 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 our thing. Yeah, like, flower on. power. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. On a more serious note, even though it's kind of the way that I'd wanted to tee this up was a little a little humorous. Um, the other day you were on our, a show with, with our neighbors, actually, just right down the street from us uh, at Community Newspapers, and you were talking about the topic of mental health, which I think is so important. And you're the only candidate that I've heard talk about it in this race and almost like across the board, really. Mental health, 
during a normal time is really important and a critical undercovered issue. And now I feel like people who don't normally struggle in their day to day with that are um, are struggling. I think that a lot of us yes. are threadbare and we feel like we're on our uh, on our on our sort of last, um, you know, last straw. I was going to queue up the I don't know if you had a chance to see the burrito outburst inside of uh, Romero Brito's store. But it was it was a woman who um, felt, I suppose, slighted or uh, insulted by Brito. She's a restaurant restaurateur. And I guess he was allegedly very rude to her staff. And she walked in, purchased a $5,000 piece of art, and smashed it in front of him. And it was captured on video. Now, my understanding is this was a few months ago. But I feel like all of us are kind of, we're like all at that place. Like, we feel that on some days. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us why you wanted to identify mental health uh, as an issue that you were going to campaign about. And share with us a little bit of your platform uh, vis-a-vis mental health. Yeah, yeah. Well, I plan to be the prevention mayor, okay? My, the story of my life actually is trying to make sure that children have the opportunities that they need to succeed and thrive. I've been very fortunate in my life. I had loving parents and lacked for nothing, and they believed in me and thought I could achieve anything I wanted to achieve. And, um, you know, I know that's not true for many, many children, but it should be. So I have really set about as a career path making sure that children had uh, what they needed to succeed and thrive. And, uh, you know, it's just not happening. Right. And as, uh, we've, as we've cut budgets for social services, we've cut programming for children. Um, we just had another murder in South Dade uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are young people who are without alternatives, without hope, and they go down the wrong path. Uh, this is something that, Uh, I care passionately about, and I know we can do better. So I'm looking at the range of social services, not just mental health services. Uh, Again, youth development, um, even extracurricular things that engage people, that get them excited, that help them discover their talents and their passions. That's what keeps them engaged in school uh, and keeps them on the path because they see something that they can uh, really invest in. Uh, and they see themselves as succeeding in those things. So um, so mental health as a part of it, and of course, as you say, these are really stressful times. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no nobody who could say it's not a stressful time. So our usual level of anxiety and depression has just gone off, you know, off the roof. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's in some really, cases, yes, I think it's off the yeah, roof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> off the roof. And so, you know, there was a study that showed the suicide um, uh, thoughts, the suicide plans. Right. Like uh, intentionality the, the and, age, com- and contemplations yeah, of 18 it. 18 yeah. to 25 year olds, 25% of them have said they've seriously thought about suicide. And for the larger population, it's 10%. That is chilling. That is just chilling. Mm-hmm. Every day we're wishing uh, our friends and neighbors and relatives condolences for the loss of lo- loved ones. Every day we know that people are struggling to pay their bills. We have um, an eviction moratorium, but not a rent or a mortgage moratorium. I've got to read, I've been saying, we're gonna have a mortgage foreclosure crisis again. Right. 
you know, we, we are living in a time of such uncertainty, uncertainty. I was listening to an interview today with someone from an Institute of Media and Psychology, and they were saying that people are watching the shows that are comfortable, uh, kind of reruns and things, yeah. because they're like friends, yeah. because people are lonely. People are lonely. Yeah. It's true. We are atomized. We are lonely. What This happened at a time where a lot of people in sort of like our age bracket and maybe the generation just immediately younger than us, um, they don't have that nuclear family that's holding them together. And they uh, th- th- there's, there's a lot of just sort of lonesomeness out there and people aren't connecting. People are already having trouble connecting in the society that we've built. And now add on to that, this, and it makes it that much more difficult. And then when we do get together, we can't touch. Yep. You know, in this, you know, we're a very huggy place. We can't hug. We can't shake hands. We, you know, I haven't seen my grandchildren since February. They live in D.C. Yeah. These yeah, my are... daughter hasn't seen her, 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 any of her grandparents on, on my side or on, on my wife's side. Uh, you know, equally, and 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 God, since since February, geez. Um, yeah, it's it, it's tough, and it's good to hear that somebody's talking about that because. Dave lives in Las Vegas. I used to live there. I went to college there. And I would say Las Vegas, we, we've talked about it before on the show, how Las Vegas is probably one of the cruelest places to live mm-hmm. if, you, if you're struggling with, with uh, mental illness. And I don't think Miami's that far behind. And it would be great to, mm-hmm. to, to make some, some Look, we were there. already one of the highest rates. I understood for serious mental illness, we are the highest in the country. Yeah. That was baseline. So if you're elected, you'll be the first female mayor of Miami-Dade. And as it stands, you're the only woman running with experience as an elected official. So first, what's that say about Miami-Dade as a county that there's never been a woman mayor? And second, what's it mean to you to potentially break that glass ceiling? You know, uh, a woman got pretty close last time. Raquel Regalado did give Carlos Jimenez a run for his money, mm-hmm. I will say. Um <laughs> But it's a pay-to-play system. It's very, very hard to get elected in county government without having a deep bench of people who want to do business with the county. That's the reality that has existed. And it's, it's basically a good old boys network. Yep. That's, that's really what I think it is. Um, and, you know, maybe we're a, a bit sexist in Miami-Dade County. I mean, we certainly have other women elected officials. We have women Congress. People. We have uh, women state electeds. We have women commissioners. But this top job by many is viewed as a doorway for county business. Right. Of course, that's not how I view it at all. That's not how I viewed my commission seat. That's how, not how I view it as mayor. So you have to ask, I mean, woman or man, okay, you have to ask why are they spending so much money to defame me with outlandish lies. Who is it that cares so much about having access to money and power that they would invest so heavily in that kind of deceit? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's because I'm a woman, but I do think that women tend to be less transactional and more for the cause yeah it's it's true and women tend to be open to a lot to lines of criticism that don't apply to men 
very often in electoral <laughs> politics. True. Um, like how is your hair and yeah. how you're dressing. Or yes, even if, if you have a if you have a forceful demeanor, there's somebody who's running and I'm not gonna oh, yes. I'm not gonna perpetuate this, so I'm not gonna mention the person's name, but there's a candidate in my district here who one of your opponents is vacating his seat and there's three candidates who, who are running here and there's one who has a reputation from her time as a mayor as being very forceful and tough. And that's been turned against her. In, in, and that's ridiculous because if she was a man, it would not be the case. So there's a lot, I think, that female, especially. Well, in some of our debates, it plays out where the guys are all tough and arrogant bravado. And of course, I'm very calm. I'm very um, thoughtful. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're just lying and <laughs> shamelessly and uh, carrying on. And I just sit back and try to make sure that <laughs> that I don't get engaged. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah. strategy sometimes. Yeah. So I, yeah. I want to talk to you about this idea. Uh, I want to talk to you about a, a, a broader concept where politics shows. So I'm going to have to drag you into politics a little bit, but not nationally. Um, we're going to keep it local. I want to talk to you about the idea and the concept of partisanship in these kind of races. The, the mayor's race is a nonpartisan affair. Position, ostensibly nonpartisan. Our current mayor, his predecessor before him, were pretty staunch conservatives, even though uh, Jimenez voted for Hillary Clinton and uh, Alvarez, the his predecessor, uh, raised taxes, which I'm told Republicans don't do, but I guess, I don't know. Uh, in the past, I always thought, this isn't really local stuff about Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. It's more local issues, local solutions, what what's best for the community. But, but things in the last four years have gotten pretty hopelessly polarized. And in that time, I kind of feel like the D or the R next to somebody's name has become a very useful shorthand for what they're all about, what they're going to do as a leader, what political project that they're going to pursue. Personally, I, and I know Dave is the same way, I couldn't imagine supporting a Republican for dog catcher, but that's just where we are right now. In the context of Miami, you you run like a generic Democrat against a generic Republican, and the Democrat's usually going to win, but our county pretty broadly supports what would be considered like a liberal agenda. That's our constituency. So my question is like, in the interest of transparency, should these races be a little bit more overtly partisan? Or are we like, are we, are we holding on to something that we think is virtuous when in reality it kind of obscures things? What, what are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think it's very thoughtful what you're saying. And I've heard some people really pushing to be more partisan, saying it's pretty much become that anyway. Yeah. But I believe that even though we are very divided as a nation, that most people just want good government. Yeah. I believe that most people are truly purple, <laughs> that uh, in Miami-Dade County, we are more liberal socially than not. Um, people want access to healthcare, they want access to housing they can afford, they don't want to be stuck in traffic. They want to protect our environment. You, you know, these are not partisan issues in themselves. Right. And I have to say that while um, we have Democrats, Republicans, and one independent on the county commission, eh, there are a few things that lock along partisan lines, but most things not. Most things are about taking care of the community sort of making sure that the laws work for people, um, who gets a contract, you know, these things are not partisan. Mm -hmm. So I, I personally 
would like to keep it nonpartisan, even though people could tell from the fact that I am a registered Democrat, the way that I lean on certain issues. So that's how I feel. I'm also extremely proud of the Republican support that I have Mm -hmm. and the nonpartisan support, uh, the, the independent support. It means to me that people see past the rhetoric and they want to know that somebody will be honest. They want to know that somebody is there for the right reasons, not to beat a drum and not to cater to special interests. And that is why I am going to be the next mayor, because people know that about me. And they can lie about it and they can obscure it and throw sand in in it. But at the end of the day, that's who I am and that's who I will be. Well, I don't know if you had a chance to look on social media at all today, but your face is up on a um, in a, a dem- not a demonstration, but just sort of a, a parade, I suppose, of uh, supporters of the president. And you are tiled yourself, the current mayor, uh, who's running for a, a congressional seat right now, and uh, two of your opponents, and all four of you are labeled socialists, uh-huh. <laughs> which is, yeah. I yeah, mean, that's, that's a real reach in some in some cases. Well, it, it's like a dog whistle. Isn't that what you call yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I call voters. I call undecided voters uh, in the evening hours when I have or on the weekends when I have a few minutes. I've been calling. And today and, and I always call from my personal cell phone and I and I always leave a message and say, this is my personal cell phone. And please call me back, you know, if they're not in. So today I got a, a message back. I got a call from someone who said somebody called from this number. So I assume that's what it was. And her only question was, did I support the president? Hmm. Now, the way she said it, I kind of guessed that she supported the president. Right. But, you know, I can't lie. So, of course, I said, no, really, I'm not uh, in favor of, of, of the president at this time. And she said, well, thank you very much. I cannot support somebody who doesn't support the president. Yeah. So that was okay. That was her, you know, demarcation. And there are definitely people we know there are people that that is it right or wrong this is they, they what they want but for most people it's not like that yeah it's it's funny because you have to operate in that in that world now where you've held your office since 2014 which was a pretty normal time still even though back then we thought it was crazy but 2014 was a pretty <laughs> a, a, a normal time <laughs> when a republican could ostensibly work with a democrat for something decent and something good and things have become so hyper normalized now i would say that my only pushback on you would be that uh and you know i, I feel differently about it like i said before my dog catcher example but i will say that the party that has called the shots for a really long time here in Miami is also the party that just a few years ago was denying that climate change exists existed. And even in the middle of this pandemic, climate change is still the biggest threat that we're facing in South Florida. And now they deny like sort of the anthropogenic side of, you know, the human involved side of climate change. And some of them are coming around and we have some decent ones down here in Florida because they're allowed to, you know, acknowledge climate change exists down here. But I'd like to see, I guess I'd like to see the the, the purveyors of, of that ideology kind of like sidelined a little. Like, hey, we have a big problem right now. And you guys have been wrong about this for so long. And uh, maybe let other people take 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 a crack at mm-hmm. resiliency and, and, and getting ready for this mm-hmm. inevitable problem. If I could say tomorrow I'm having a press conference in which I am going to uh, 
speak very strongly on the issue of the fish kill in our bay mm -hmm. and the negligence by our current mayor. This issue has been at the forefront of my mind. I've passed all kinds of legislation. I've advocated strongly. And uh, he has, to put it mildly, dragged his feet and not followed through on any of the clear scientific evidence and urgency of the situation. Did he do that as a partisan? Um, I think he simply didn't view it as a priority. I don't think he denied that we had a problem necessarily. Uh, and of course it is tied into climate change and other right. climate change matters that I've brought that he's also ignored. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite a number of them. But I think he finally came around to saying that he recognized there was climate change, right? I think, you know, it's so interesting uh, now the Republican take often is there is climate change, but it's not caused by humans. Right. That it's just so, but they're willing to do things to mitigate or adapt, but not to blame it. Uh, on, and even though there is an acknowledgement, we need to reduce carbon. Right. So it's just a, to me, it's a matter of urgency and priorities. It's a moving and, target. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a real moving target. With, yeah. and I think that you're right in terms of urgency, priority, and uh, it, it's like always shooting ten feet behind where the target is. And <laughs> so, I mean, that's my yeah. most that's my most good faith yeah. appraisal of what yeah. I can say that Republicans, not yeah. just in Miami but nationally, have have done. It's yeah. it's always like. Okay, maybe Al Gore was right twenty years ago, but you know, and so. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you on that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the um, the pandemic, Dave. I know you have a question on that. Yeah, here in Las Vegas, I mean, we were an early hotspot for COVID, and Miami has now become one of the worst in the country as far as that's concerned. It, with the benefit of hindsight, what would you have done differently? And if you win, what are you hoping to do differently as far as the pandemic responses, response is concerned? I was thinking today that while I'm an extremely hopeful and optimistic person, I also have that sort of chicken little instinct that the sky is falling. So it's not with the benefit of hindsight. I knew it yeah. from the minute we heard about it in January. I was bracing myself from the moment that it was spreading in our community that we knew about in March, because of course it was much earlier. I was calling uh, alarm bells and saying, we need to massively test, we need to trace, we need to isolate. None of that was happening at the level that it needed to, and really no tracing of, of any value was happening and no isolation. So really, really, we shot ourselves in the foot uh, here. And, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, because that's not a happy place to be when we're talking about the health and uh, of, our, of our bodies <laughs> and our economy, which have suffered so tremendously. So, you know, I, I've been calling the I've been calling out the mayor and the governor, never mind the president on this issue, at least since March. And um, I'm very sad. I'm very sad that I have been proven correct. Yeah, some of the most um, and for folks who are outside of Miami don't might not know this, but um, some of the hotspots or some of the some of the worst areas are in were in because just because of the way that our, our county is constructed and the way that um your district is constructed i mean this has happened in your backyard i'm, I'm sure you've had to 
talked to a lot of constituents who have been affected by uh, yes. not just their bit because we hear a lot in Miami about my business is closed, my gym is closed, my restaurant is closed. But what gets covered less, and what I imagine you probably interact with more is people saying my life has changed i lost somebody things that my family's been changed correct like i said all the funerals that are happening virtually that you can't all the people who are dying that you can't be by their side in the hospital all the people in nursing homes that are like sitting ducks uh, including my dad you know it's just a terrifying they wouldn't even tell the state would not even tell family members when there was COVID in the institution where their loved ones resided. I I mean, it's just been so bungled uh, from the outset, the denial and the callousness, the cruelty of how it's been handled. So, um, you know, I, I was told a long time ago that a good leader tells the truth and still can create hope. And I take that with me every day. I would never try to falsely assure people. I would never try to cover up what's happening. People need to know. People need to assess the risks for themselves. If we had done that, we wouldn't have had people cavalierly running out in public without masks or social. I mean, of course, we have a few, you know, wild cards. It's Miami. We're yes. going to have wild cards. Yes. But but still, we did not have a clear message about it, and it was understood. So, you know, shame on on us. And even I, while I was calling for all of it, do not think that I was strong enough early on on the masking and, and the call for isolation. Because, like you say, people, people were very resistant. You know, right. why has our country done so poorly? Why, why are we so... Uh, adamant on our individualism in the face of our collective need for protection. It's a really specific bug in our national ideology that puts us, I think, I I, I agree with you. It puts us at, it put us, and we are experiencing it, unique risk. It's this desire for liberty, but without the responsibility that comes with it in a lot of cases. I think that's very well said. Liberty without the responsibility. Thank you very much. I'm going to use that phrase. Oh, good. <laughs> Glad I could contribute. You talked about the you talked about the qualities of leadership uh, on on this like local municipal level, and it's funny because your district is is an interesting one. It's a very diverse district. There's a lot of different mm. a lot of different communities there. Miami's not one place. It's this patchwork, a bunch of bailiwicks. I live here on Bird Road. A lot of my world is in Coral Gables in South Miami, especially lately. People in the Biscayne Corridor, they exist there. People in Miami Beach, they kind of exist there. A lot of the black communities, West Grove, Liberty City, Miami Gardens, for them, those areas are are their whole world. And I've yet to see in my 15 years living here, a leader who's tried to, even made an effort really, to to unite those places. I wonder if, if, if you've given thought to that uh, and how you envision all these very, very different people being being brought together and united a little yes. bit more. Yes, thank you. Well, I've given a lot of thought to it. <laughs> I've given 40 years of thought to it. And um, my the, the start of my deeply thinking about this was Hurricane Andrew. Because in Hurricane Andrew, as we recovered, we reached out to people regardless nice. if we knew them or their backgrounds. We we were all unified with a common enemy to overcome that 
catastrophe. And I have since then been working on how to make that happen without a catastrophe. And uh, I did not expect to run to be mayor in the middle of the COVID pandemic (laughs) or in the middle of the conversation about reforming police practices. But both of those things create, again, opportunities for people to come together. And um, somebody once told me, you have to find the people that care more about the truth than being right. That makes sense. So if you care more about the truth, then you can see the whole. That's the other thing is look for people who can see the whole. And I see the whole. I do see the whole always. And I think we are phenomenal. I think we are just the best community in the world because of the richness of our cultures and our heritage and our history and all the new peoples that have come from so many places seeking a better life combined with the people who built this place. Uh, I I find it endlessly fascinating. And I, I feel that I want to celebrate and uplift every community. And I know other people enjoy these communities too. So how do we create that shared sense of, of uh, joy and common purpose? And I believe that as a collaborative woman who is now really in the minority as a white Jewish woman in Miami, okay, that is a minority, that I am less threatening, that um, I can help be a bridge builder. And that is my plan. You brought up the idea, actually, the, the recent development of Black Lives Matter and, and the way that we've been looking at um, police reform. And again, this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, you weren't probably counting on this being the moment of like the summer of social justice reform when you were running for the biggest office that you've run for to this point in in your career, but it's here. We talked about at the way joking around at the beginning of the, of the episode, we joked about cynicism, but I think that there's something serious there and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, Over the years, you've supported these really great solutions, right? To, to um, uh, our public transportation problems. A lot of your constituents in your district are far flung and they are outside of the, um, the, the, the purview of a lot of our, 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 our structure, uh, our public transportation structures. One of your opponents years ago when he was mayor, decades ago when he was mayor, got a half cent tax passed that was supposed to make us the envy of all Florida cities. Uh, when it comes to public transportation, it didn't happen. Our current mayor, um, he, in the context of, of the, the social strife that we've seen, uh, he had the opportunity and was, was, had a mandate to fund a civilian oversight panel. Um, didn't happen, right? We talked a few weeks ago with Mike Run- Michael uh, Rosenberg, who's running to replace another opponent of yours on the county commission. We talked about Mike's work with Pets Trust eight years ago to make Miami-Dade a no-kill county. It passed overwhelmingly. Didn't happen. My daughter's six years old. She's going to be footing the bill for a baseball stadium until she's my age, probably older. Uh, We didn't want it, but it still happened. My concern is that people aren't just going to become distrustful of the political process, but just completely disengaged from it. 
Do you share that concern and why or why not? Well, that's why I'm running. That's why I'm in government. Because exactly what you said, because people already do not trust. People already are disenchanted and disengaged. And we have an opportunity to turn it around. This is a historic moment for those those reasons. People do see me as the change agent, and I am. And how will I be different? Well, a lot of those things happened because the people were not told the truth. Yep. The people were not, I think almost every, go through each example you gave, people were told half truths mm-hmm. and half lies. And so therefore you can never deliver. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start out lying, you know, there's no win. Yep. You have to tell the truth, right? You, you the touched, baseball stadium. Yeah, the exactly. The truth was not told. Right. The half penny. It was a lie. It was a full penny that was needed for the program. The Pets Trust, it was a straw poll. It was not, you know, it, it, it was not mandated to happen. People didn't understand that. And it wasn't fully dis, ex, disclosed what exactly would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, another example that you gave. Well, one, one, but, like, I think that you made a great point earlier where uh, when we were talking about something else, but you made the point that uh, a lot of the positions, particularly this position you're running for, has been a pass through for business in the past, yeah. and ultimately that's the interest that ends up winning out in a lot of these these things that we think we're voting yes. for, and we think we're being yeah. good citizens. Let's not kill puppies anymore. Let's like make a billionaire pay for his own baseball stadium, and we're doing what we think is the right thing. And ultimately, like, like you said earlier, the business interest tends to win out. And I can tell you, as a sitting commissioner for six years the number of times that things have come to us at the very last minute, hugely expensive projects, always some reason that it couldn't come to us before, some reason that now it must be decided it's an emergency, making it impossible, not only for the commissioners to fully explore, but for the public. The public has not had the opportunity to weigh in. I mean, that is, again, a major difference for me. I love it when the public is involved. The commissioners blame me when people show up because they know I've ginned it up and I've told the public, come on down. (laughs) I would continue with virtual participation because it's easier for people. I've been pushing for it uh, before. You know, people need to know the truth and then they need to have an opportunity to give input. And we need to listen. We need to listen to people, not give it lip service. So that's my plan. And it's not going to be easy because also because people are not used to really paying that much attention. I mean, let's just say on the other side, they want a quick answer. They don't really want to look at all the facts. They're too quick to um, accept somebody's uh, pat uh, explanation. They're too willing to just assign um, motive, Uh, you know, so we need, but that's, you know, that's that circle of trust. You cannot get people to pay attention, really listen, if they just feel that they've been discarded and and uh, ignored. There's this, I, I don't even know, There in sociology, there might be an actual term for this condition, but I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you do. I always think of the copper industry and the the way that it supports the continued production of pennies. 
even though who needs pennies anymore? We don't need pennies anymore. Ninety-eight <laughs> percent of people don't use or require a penny, but there's two percent of people great. that you know. Uh, the more the, that that you know, the copper copper industry wants us to keep making pennies. I think the more apt example is NRA, right? Because public support across the country has been on the side of more stringent gun control for for years, right? But that ninety percent of people that favor that, especially after like horrific shootings, they um. They're in the majority, but they're not as committed. And there's 10% of people who are absolutely committed and paying attention because they're invested in it. And I think that what you're talking about is an example of that, where so many people broadly agree on these issues, but they're not the ones who are showing up, except in the case where you motivate them to, or somebody like you motivates them to. They're not showing up, you know, with the uh, honestly sometimes campaign contributions they're not showing up with the with the with the 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 investment of time and money to to make it happen uh and i think we see that way too often here in miami miami's prime example of a place where the minority interested parties get their way because they're willing to put the money and the time and mm-hmm. the effort behind mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and the typical well, people do sometimes hope, don't know yeah i i do hope that uh as mayor that I'll be able to continue to engage and excite the public to care about the things that are happening and to be part of the conversation. Um, You know, there's a a kind of a, after all, we're not uh, a direct democracy, right? We're a representative democracy. And so people can comfortably sit back and then wait till the next election. But unfortunately, to get good results, it requires to be proactive. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be looking at uh, participatory budgeting. I'm going to be looking at training people on county budget processes and decision making. I did a zoning and land use workshop a couple of weeks ago so that people could come to zoning and um, land use cases with more tools, more um, capacity. Yeah. Uh, because that is a very, very frustrating process for the for members of the public. So that's my that's my plan. My plan is to make active citizenry. But you know, we have to do more than just give people information. We have to make it relevant. We have to make it fun. Um, we have to encourage people to engage through organizations and clubs, and um, you know, because collective action is the most effective. So I've spent a lifetime on these things. I've been on the outside trying to get government. I'll I'll tell you how I put it. I've spent a lifetime creating um, the the product of active, engaged citizens. But the elected officials haven't been receptive. So I had to go inside to create uh, more receptivity to the activism. So that's my plan. So I'm going to end with, we're going to end with, with, with a tough question for you. Okay. You've given mm. me a softball so far, but mm. this one's a tough mm. one. <laughs> um, we've had on the show climate experts, people who really know what they're talking about. Um, Amy Westervelt from Drilled. Um, we've had on, you know, John Morales. We've had on, you know, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had on Mario Arisa, who's a reporter up in the Sun Sentinel, who just came out with a great book that, that we were plugging on the show called um, Disposable City. We've talked to a lot of these people, and there's this concept that comes up over and over, but hasn't really entered the consciousness yet when it comes to Miami, called managed, managed retreat, right? Where you 
make the conscious decision for our listeners out there who don't know what that is. You make a conscious sort of collective community decision that this place, Key Biscayne, great example, this isn't a place where people are probably supposed to live and nature's going to take that place back. And we need to start actively, you know, planning around that and retreating from those areas. Dave lives out in, you know, just, just east of Death Valley. People probably weren't supposed to live there. We live in the middle of the Everglades. There probably wasn't supposed to be 3 million people living here, but that's the case. That's where we stand now. I think it's a really tricky question for somebody who eventually becomes the county mayor looking into the future as you have to juggle what could end up being something that is just absolute poison to a municipality, which is like an erosion of your tax base, people leaving. But when yeah. the the scientific community comes to a consensus that like, hey, maybe it's time to start thinking about these things. I wonder if you've thought, I know this is kind of a tough one and it's asking you to look down the road a little bit, um, but I wonder if you've given any thought to that and, and you know, how you would uh, handle a situation, whether it's caused by, you know, an, an, a natural weather event or whether it's just something that happens gradually. Like, how, how would you approach that conundrum? Yeah. Well, I've given it a lot of thought. <laughs> and uh, as a matter of fact, and I've spoken to a lot of people about it. And I was trained by Al Gore to be a climate communicator. And I, uh, I believe that it's a combination of things. What can we do to protect and preserve this place for as long as possible? And I have a big agenda about how to do that. On the other side of that is, yeah, there is an endpoint. And the endpoint is different for different parts, but it depends on what we do. It also depends on our appetite for investing. You know, we are still um, paradise. Uh, we do still have people who want to be here and invest here. We are still at a critical location uh, for capital of South America, crossroads for Europe and even right. Africa. Gateway, we, yeah. yeah, we have many, many, many uh, people who are eager to be part of this place. So we have to collectively decide how much we're going to focus on uh, protecting and preserving. And then, like you say, some areas are just going to be sacrificial. So, for example, we're due for a report uh, any day, day now on county assets at risk and which are the ones that we should be investing in or not. Mm -hmm. And we have to make those decisions. There are some that, you know, maybe we have to live in a more watery environment. Right. And this particular piece of infrastructure should not be, we, it would be a waste of our money to invest. So these are some very tough questions. Um, people are distracted right now right. by other matters. It's hard to get people's but, attention on this, on this issue right yes, now. Yes, it's very hard to, but um, as there will be infrastructure money, and that is good for our economy. Those are green jobs and everything else. And we need to use that money in a very strategic way that will shore up the infrastructure that we need to um, survive and thrive. And also, you know, like you, you were suggesting, it could be another severe weather event. You know, one of the big hallmarks of climate change is extreme weather. Right. So, uh, you know, 
we can be building for a gradual rise of sea, but that does not really take into account an extreme weather event. You've been a great guest. And in exchange for being such a great guest, I'm going to give you the cheat code, the way that you actually win, not just tomorrow uh, on Tuesday, but the end of, in, in November. There's a $10,000 to $20,000 problem in the backyard of every Miami-Dade, unincorporated Miami-Dade resident, or about half of them, I would say. Two words, septic tanks. There, yes, sir. There is a problem in this county. Yes, sir. If yes, your septic is. tank isn't busted, your neighbor's probably is. And <laughs> that's your... Yes. So if you well, can... we have a report. I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow at my press event. Okay. We are waiting on an overdue report on which are the septics tanks that are the ones that are most at risk. And by the way, they are overtopping and going into the canals and into the bays and contributing to the fish kill. Yep. It's a, it's a problem here in Miami-Dade. It's, it's yes. you know. Yes, and it is. So today is Sunday, August 16th. The primaries in Miami are on Tuesday, August 18th. I again said that about half of our listeners are here in Miami-Dade. If you're one of them, check off box number 362 for Daniela Levine Cava. It's a jungle primary, like I said, which means that there's a good chance we're going to get to vote for her twice uh, on Tuesday and again in November. Madam Commissioner, thank you for visiting Bird Road. Thank you for your endorsement. Can I get that in writing? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Dave, get on that, please. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege. (laughs) 